John. Hey, Brandon. So today we are going to chat with Dusty Baker of Stonecrete in, um, he was in Dixon, Tennessee. I'm not sure exactly where he's located now per se, because he moved. He built a, a new shop and it's pretty amazing, but we're going to talk to Dusty. Big topic of conversation that we want to cover. Dusty is a, a great success story of somebody that started off, didn't have immediate success, was kind of using a low price to attract clientele, but that wasn't working out. And then he made the jump yeah. to price himself accordingly. But more than that, developing a very unique high-end aesthetic that uh, he's built his entire business on. And now he's one of, if not the most successful concrete companies I know of. Yeah, he's doing great. I mean, yeah, he is a, my point of view, he's a great success story. However, someone defines success. I still, I remember meeting Dusty at a, at an Epic when he came out. I didn't even know who Dusty Baker was. And, you know, he's got that accent going. <laughs> we had a great time with Dusty. And I remember it was that Epic. He won an award or something. I can't even remember what it was for. But I don't know. He was the kind of guy that, you know, he made you smile just knowing who he was and wasn't watching that, him. Wasn't that the corn? Was that the cornhole one? Was it Cornhole, that epic, or what was that epic? Maybe it was. You know, I, honestly, I don't remember. I don't remember. But I remember they carried him around on, on, on their shoulders. Like, and he had his, like, his arms right. up in the air, and yeah. a great photo of him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he was so excited. But I, what I remember about that whole situation was those were some of the defining moments. I remember talking to a guy named Dusty Baker who – do you remember at the time we had those kind of – I don't know, round discussions, you know, the eight or 10 of us in the evening sit around with various topics. And, you know, I just met this guy, Dusty Baker. I knew per the conversation he had, you know, he was struggling. And when I say struggling, he was like most of us starting business, right? He, you know, uh, had enough to do just amount and was struggling financially. And so watching him grow beyond that is, is a, it's a neat story. It's a pretty cool story. It's a great story. And Dusty is a great guy. He's been teaching with Concrete Design School since, I want to say, 2014 was his first class. So seven years, almost eight years now, he's been training classes with us. And he is such a personable guy. He's the epitome of a, a true Southern person. He'll give a shirt off his back to somebody. And he's just so nice to everybody. And I love having him in our classes he brings a great energy. But more than that, he's he's just a phenomenal craftsman. At that epic that you're talking about, I went there that year. Me and my wife, we were dating, but we weren't married yet. But she went with me that year. And Dusty was doing a demonstration on how to do, he didn't call it Dusty Crete at that point, but it was this stone-like look he was doing. He had, he had been playing yeah, around. Yeah, I remember with, that. Yeah, I with, with that. kind of refining it to some point. And he was doing a demonstration and Aaron, my wife, was watching, and she came over and she said, hey, did have you seen what Dusty's doing over there? And I said, yeah, you know, I like Dusty. He's a cool guy, but I do smooth cast, upside down GFRC. He does a much more rustic look. It's just apples and oranges. He's doing something completely different than I do. And she's like, well, and she worked in a, a really high-end tile industry. And she said, you know, you should really go take a look at this because I'm telling you, like, it is very refined and a very high-end finish. I was like, okay. So I went over and looked at it and she was right. You know, I'd always seen it from 20 feet away, but I never really got up right. 
close to it and looked at it. But when I got up close to it and looked at it, when I say close, I'm talking like six inches away. It was phenomenal. He had had so much detail in that. Yeah, a lot of character. That, That's what I remember. A lot yeah, of character. Yeah. That I had never seen because I'd seen that kind of look, quote unquote, look before. You go to World of Concrete in Las Vegas and there's guys doing demonstrations with that kind of look. But when you looked at it, when you actually walked up to it and looked at it, it looked it looked like, I don't know, I, I call it Mickey Mouse. It looks like just fake. It's just fake. It doesn't look real. It doesn't look authentic. It looks like stamped or kind of carved into a, a stone look. And then you just kind of slapped color on it. And it just looks messy. It doesn't have refinement. It doesn't have detail. But Dusty's piece at that event was really, really, really nice. And so that was 2011 or 2012. I'm not sure what year that was. A few years later is when we did a class with him. And by then, he'd taken it to a whole nother level. And I was blown away then at what he was doing. And then since then, every year since, when we do classes with Dusty, he's continued to refine it and evolve the technique. And Dusty Creek today versus Dusty Creek from two or three years ago is completely different. He just keeps making these big jumps on refinement. You know, it used to be very heavy-handed carved edges that didn't look real per se. They, They were nice, but they didn't have authenticity to them. What he's doing now, he's gotten really good at cutting out everything that isn't a necessity. I mean, he's, he's removing all the stuff that he did before to do it, but now he's doing things with purpose and he's not doing things that don't need to be done. And he's got it extremely dialed and it's an extremely high-end look. And, you know, of all the different aesthetics in this industry, I really feel that Dusty Baker's Dusty Crete look has the widest appeal to the to the market over anything versus upright cast or what I do like upside down modern. Those are all great, but those are smaller demographics. Dusty Crete really kind of resonates with the modern segment to the modern farmhouse, to rustic, to uh, traditional. I mean, it fits in every style of home you can imagine. So he really has kind of the widest reach from a look out of the, the three different types of looks we train. True. And interesting enough, as he's continued to refine, so it's you know, even the last class, he was doing something different than I was used to seeing him do. But the interesting, or to me, a little bit laughable, and although I do understand it, is you and I have seen other companies, I can't even remember, well, I'm going to paraphrase the words. Yeah, but that's what people are looking for. So they were even starting to do knockoffs, Dusty Creek knockoffs in training courses. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, that's that's what people want to learn. But if you yeah, want to learn, it. you should go to the source and learn how to do it from the guy that developed that look and has has really refined it over the last 10 years versus somebody that I mean, I, I want to say that some of the people out there teaching stuff came to a class with Dusty and now they're teaching it. But that's like the, the game of telephone where, you know, it goes around the room and what started off this ends up this when it gets to the end. And unfortunately, a lot of the information that they picked up in the class, when they go to teach it to somebody else, it's been morphed, it's changed. And the information isn't as clear and as distilled and as precise as had it come from Dusty, because Dusty knows what he's talking about. And so, Agreed. you know, if you want to learn how to do it the right way, go to the source, go to the go to the guys that do this for a living, go to the guys that developed the techniques they're teaching. And, you know, you have really pioneered and refined upright casting that's been your passion and you've taken it to Mm -hmm. whole new levels through tooling and through materials and through placement and through finishing like there's all these different steps that you've brought to the table for upright casting 
you know, I taught the first class on GFRC in 2005. I taught the first class on fabric forming. These are things that these are techniques that we have developed. These aren't things right. that we picked up somewhere else. And now we're regurgitating. These are things that we developed. And so the information is as pure and as precise as you'll get from anywhere. No question. And, and the other thing, which hits a little more home with me personally, the thing I love about dusting, and I'm just going to ask him this question again when we talk to him, because sometimes it even seems like overwhelming to me. He's been using ICT for years. I still remember way back when him and I had a great conversation based on what he's trying to use at the time. His business was suffering, the callbacks, he was having a lot of difficulties. And, you know, I'm not going to say, ooh, you know, I showed him the way. But since that point, I don't even know. Thousands, maybe 10,000s of square feet. I don't know what he's put out. To me, he's a great success story for materials as well. To take a guy with some amazing finishes, been successful with these finishes. So I'm actually going <laughs> to I'm, I'm gonna put him on the spot. I'm just kind of curious because I'm sure there's people using other products that are questioning now that, you know, even now partnered up with Kodiak. Does he have problems? I don't know. I mean, I'm going to put that straight out there. Does he have problems? Because I know he's used a lot of sealer on the on what he does. I'm going to ask him. Let's just see what he has to yeah. say. It'll yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it says on our website that the guys that have found success with ICT kind of are a testament to to the materials you developed. If you go to our team page on KodiakPro.com, you can read all about it. But it's true. Dusty's one of those guys. He's a company that's extremely successful, has a massive amount of countertops, sinks, whatever, out in the world for 10 years now. In the right. classes, at least, he he has the last class, as of the last class, he's had no callbacks. I mean, the only callback that I've ever heard him talk about was a callback that somebody did. It was for a TV show. He told, it was outdoor countertop. He told them, please protect these countertops. I just sealed them. And this was back when he was doing really heavy uh, stain on top of, of the concrete and then sealing it. I said, please protect these. And they took on the countertops with gravel underneath them because they set them on the ground and they put them on the countertops and they're dragging them back and forth across the countertops, just grinding the gravel and the sand into the surface. And they scuffed the surface up and they called him back and they said, hey, we need you to come out here and fix these countertops. And he showed up on the job site and saw what they'd done and told him, like, guys, I told you, don't do this. You know, these are fresh. I just put these in and you guys have destroyed them in the classes. That's a example of a quote unquote callback. But that's not a callback. I mean, like the example we always use is if you buy a brand new car and you do something to that car, drive through paint, take a key and scratch the paint up and you take it back to the dealer and say, I want this fixed under, under warranty. They're going to be like, bro. <laughs> are you crazy? Yeah. This yeah. isn't a failure. Yeah. You just jacked up your car. That's on you. That's on you. That has nothing to do with us. And so same thing with these guys, this film crew, this whatever TV show on HGTV, they did exactly what he told them not to do. And then they wanted him to come out and fix it. And I think he told them like, I'm not going to fix it. You know, you can pay me and I'll fix it, but this is on you guys. You destroyed this, this countertop. And yeah, he never called me on that one. The only one I well, remember it wasn't a failure. It wasn't a failure. Yeah, it was somebody true. destroying it. And so I've had the same thing happen with clients a couple over the years where they did something that it's not malicious, but they knowingly hurt the concrete. 
they did something that they know they weren't supposed to do, but then they try to say, oh, yeah, no, I got this stain. I don't know what caused it. And it turns out it's hair dye and acetone that they poured on the surface and let it dry. And then they wonder, you know, what happened here? So anyway, so it's one of those things that people do that. And I get it. They're trying to get they're trying to get it fixed for free. But Dusty essentially told him, like, I'm not you know, you can pay me, but I'm not fixing that. That's not that's not a me problem. That's a you problem. Like you destroyed your countertop. It's yours to destroy if you want to do it. But that's not a seal sealer failure. That's not a right. material. failure. That's not a product. That's failure. You, yeah. yeah, exactly. All right on. Well, that's a whole nother discussion. We'll have to talk about one side. You know, what is I don't know if our industry is ever defined. What do we consider failures? Do you remember a time ago, wasn't there, wasn't a group of people, because I know I was there, trying to put together like a concrete countertop council or something like that? Do you remember that? Were you ever invited to that? Yeah, we went, we met in Nashville, I want to say, or Chattanooga, Chattanooga. Something like that, yeah. Bob Harris, we went to Bob Harris's Bob Harris's, I do remember going out to Bob Harris's. There was a bunch of people there. And it had kind of this momentum for a minute of creating a guild that would certify people and set standards of like, this is good, this is bad. But what it always comes down to is money and who's going to pay to put all that together and fund it. And unfortunately, it's just there's never any funding to make that happen. And think about the concrete industry is it's a bunch of vagabonds, cowboys, whatever. Everybody wants to do their own thing. And like yeah. what I consider to be a good sealer to somebody else, they might not like that. They might want to use this sealer. And what I consider right. to be whatever, the right way to pigment concrete, this guy says, no, 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 I only do topical. I don't do integral pigments. And so I think that's always going to be, we'll never get out of the, True. the that's, box. That's where I, mean. I remember the, that was one of the other Achilles heel is once we started talking about standards, this goes back to just the other day I was talking to a guy from Canada. He just couldn't believe it. He's like, how come, John, how come I've never heard about you? And I've never heard about ICP, <laughs> right? And I was oh, like, well, that hurt, I don't It know. had to hurt your ego so bad, right? man. I had to like. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, man? You You've know? never heard I'm of me. Don't you know I'm everywhere? Um, I'm the most famous no, man it, on my island. <laughs> I'm the most famous. As him and I started talking, like where he even read about ICT was like in the last sentence of somebody's post on one of the forum groups and where ICT reactive was listed with a bunch of other sealers and stuff. And he's like, wait, Hey man, I, he's heard of these other, but I've never heard of those ones. He ended up giving me a call and him and I had this conversation. And this is where it comes full circle back to the whole guild idea. As I was talking to him, I was like, well, here's my analogy. Why? If there's 20 other manufacturers out there, hell, even, you know, 20, 20 other training courses out there, you know, of those 20, 19 of them have very similar philosophies. You know, they have a concrete of some sort. Maybe they're trying to sell you a mix of some sort. And ultimately, they have a sealer of some sort that's usually either a, you know, a single component or most likely a 2K component, meaning a two-part, an A and a B. They're usually urethanes of some sort. Uh, and so that's a path he's always followed. It's a path he's always heard about. So out of 20 people, only one has a different philosophy, one. And that one different philosophy, at least from my point of view over the years, has always been shunned by the other 19 philosophies that have very similar philosophies. So it's taken him this long to find come down this path. And to me, that's where the guild went sideways along the same idea is nobody could agree 
on what standards should be. Because oftentimes, like I'm just going to say my philosophy, hey, I'm not I'm not here to tell people, you know, what products they should be using or why. But I can tell people that I have a philosophy that has helped myself and a lot of people become very successful in what they do with a philosophy, meaning, you know, the concrete, the sealer, you know, the whole curing technique and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't, you know, with the other people who didn't support those kind of things, then it became about money, pure and simple. I agree. And, you know, the other 19 companies in that example, the truth of the matter is they are taking products made for other industries and repackaging those products to be applied to concrete. They were never developed for concrete. They're developed to coat wood or coat metal. And they said, hey, this catalyzed epoxy or this catalyzed urethane or whatever it is, we can put that on concrete. It'll stick. It'll create a barrier. And yeah, of course it will. It'll create a barrier, but it's not made for that product. And in a long enough timeline, that's going to fail. And so Kodiak and ICT is products that are developed from the ground up specifically for high end concrete. That's all it's made. Well, and specifically by the people that over years of experience have noticed their own needs and develop product around it. So that in exactly. of itself, yeah, you know, makes it completely different, which maybe not everybody's agrees, but the reality is that makes it a whole different category of product. That reminds me of something you and I talked about, uh, I don't know, a week ago. And that is, there was this great video of this kid. It's a little girl actually. And she has an onion and she says it's, it's an apple. And the mom, it's, you know, you can find it on YouTube. The mom's laughing and telling her, don't buy into that. That's not an apple. That's an onion. And she's like, no, it's an onion. That, yeah. It's like some little British girl. And the mom's like, that's not an, that's not an apple. That's an onion. I'm telling you, do not take a bite of that. And the girl takes a bite of it and keeps chewing and tears are running on her face. And she's like gagging and coughing like she got sprayed with mace. But she just keeps taking a bite of that onion. She yeah. refuses to admit that she took a bite of an onion. She's sticking with it. I don't care. I'm going to eat this onion, and I'm going to say it's an apple. I'm just going to go down this path. Well, no I point really of reference. Feel, She's got no point of reference. Yeah. So well, in her I mean, eyes, she, the, it probably was the, an apple. No. Nah, the second she took a bite, she knew it was an onion. She knew. Mm. She knew that wasn't an apple. She's an apple. She knows what an apple is. She took a bite of it. She knew at that moment she bit into an onion, but she would not relent that that was an onion, right? And what Mm -hmm. I've seen within the industry per se, the concrete industry, is a lot of people get stuck in their ways. They have used, I don't know, let's say an epoxy. And they know of ICT. They've heard of the sealer from guys like Dusty and other successful companies are having great success with it. And they know that what they're using is an onion, but they continue. They just keep taking that bite. Tears are running down their face. They're getting callbacks. It's peeling up. It's turning yellow. All these things. They're just going to keep eating that onion. When there's an apple sitting right over here, they can have it. It's right there, buddy. It's right there. Why that is, I don't know. I don't know. I think they get scared off because that's the other side. You know, back to my analogy of, you know, 19 to 1, you know, when – 99%, 99%, or I guess that wouldn't be quite 90, how about 90% of the information that you hear about success 
or their version of success from 19 other manufacturers that are selling you a product. And a product, by way, you know, I don't want to get stinky with Bia, but a, but a product that is not coming directly from the chemist, that was not developed directly by your use, by experience of your use. You know, they're selling it, they're downpacking it. And I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I'm not. But when you have 19 other people saying one thing or several things that sound very similar, and then one that says, nah, here's this philosophy that let me introduce you to. You know, I mean, it t- I think sometimes y- you have to hit a whole lot of failure before you look at that one and give it the opportunity. As, as you say, you know, there's no point of reference. You got 19 point of references. And I guarantee you all those 19 are telling you the one's wrong. Um, and I think that's what finally takes people to finally come around is deciding when they've had enough. Because I do get those calls when they've had enough. And then when that happens, by the way, and, you know, then they think, oh, it's all about just the individual parts. Like, oh, well, I just need the sealer and then I can keep doing all these things I'm used to. And then when I tell them, no, you can't, you know, to make this successful, you need to make these steps of change in what you're doing. Then it becomes difficult for them again because they're like, wait a minute, I only wanted success in this one thing. Why are you telling me these other three things need to be successful as well? So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting niche market in the way people think. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, that's how I came to use ICT. I'd known you before I made the switch. I'd known you for a long time. And you'd always yeah, talk you to and me I about ICT. I still remember sitting down with you and you're like, it doesn't work for me. I'm like, okay, well, Brandon. I remember me and you were traveling I think it was from World of Concrete. We ended up at the Las Vegas airport at the same time. And I used to have an American Express card that would get me into the first class lounge just by having this card. And so me and you went in there and we're waiting for our flights and we're having some drinks. And I said, explain to me how ICT works. And it was like two hours of my life that I'll never get back. But it was like two hours of my life where you're just throwing out all this craziness about electrons and charging particles and, you know, and it's an onion and you open up this and I'm like, oh my God, it's craziness, right? Like total mad scientist. It it, it sounded amazing, but yeah, it didn't work for me. But what finally brought me to making the switch was, and I'm hesitant to tell the entire story on a podcast because it, it could come off as I don't know. Petty's not the right word, but I don't, you know, we don't want to make things negative on this podcast. But the truth of the matter is there was a sealer that was being sold to the concrete industry by a certain company. And the sealer was a coating and it was, as a coating goes, a pretty good coating. But this company, this distributor of the sealer was diluting the sealer with a solvent. And they're continuing to sell the sealer as full strength sealer, but increasingly diluting it with solvent. So over the course of six months, it, you know, went from 100% sealer to 80 to 50 to 40 to who knows what, but towards the end, it was pretty much all solvent, but it happened so gradually you never picked up on it. But the point of the matter is that distributor that was selling the sealer nearly bankrupted the entire industry at that point in time. And this was yeah, you had some projects go pretty sideways on you. I remember that. Oh, dude. It was like 2000, I want to say eight, nine, 
somewhere around there, um, somewhere in that range. I can't remember the exact date off the look, but it was a good while ago. It was such an eye-opening experience for me because the sealer could not be repaired. You couldn't apply more to it. And I, yeah, I had some pretty catastrophic failures that were really scary. And what I was really scared of was not the three or four failures that I knew about, but the hundreds that I didn't know about, that I was anticipating. That's what really kept me up kept me up at night is I know about these, but I've used this sealer for hundreds of projects. Mm-hmm. When am I going to start getting those calls? You know, when's this avalanche of clients going to come? And it did come for a lot of people. And a lot of companies did go out of business. The point of that whole story is that happened. And that experience is when I called you and I called another person at the time that was in the industry that was testing your sealer with GFRC. And you guys had been kind of working out a way to make GFRC respond better to ICT because it wasn't responding well. And I called you guys and you're like, hey, we're like 90% there. We're getting really good results. And I said, I want to I want to learn. Like, I'm going to fly up. I'm going to see you guys. Please show me what you're doing. And I flew up and we all met. And the test that we did over that three days blew my mind, blew my mind to how good it was. It was insane. It was so much better than any coding I'd ever used. And it was only three days old. And this was the early ICT version. So ICT at that right. point was really like 30 days before we had good resistance, you know, minimum seven days before you really want to even start to test it. But hey, you know, like give it a month. And this was three days in and it was performing better than any coding I'd ever used. And that's when I made the switch. I wouldn't say you were over the top, but you were appearing happier than I was. Because remember, (laughs) I kept trying to go, I kept trying to tell you, hey, it's, you know, it's only a few days old. It's only a few days old. We can't test this. We can't test this. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. Like we're testing this today. I didn't fly all the way out here to just take your word for it. That's going to work. Like we got to test it. But what I was going to say is I made the switch after seeing that with my own eyes, see it perform at three days old, I made the switch and I have not regretted that decision once ever since. And that was 11, 12 years ago, maybe a little bit longer that I made the switch. It's been one of the best things I ever did as a business because the worst thing you can have as a concrete business is sealer failure. That will murder you. I mean, you will go out of business if you're constantly going back and recasting pieces because the sealer is failing. ICT as a sealer technology is proven. It works. It works from guys that have no vested interest in promoting ICT. They'll tell you, this is all I use. I've tried all these other topicals. They didn't work, you know? Yeah. So this is what I use. And so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to, um, Interesting to see Dust talk to Dusty about it because for someone who's done as much work and you know how much square foot I'm, I'm interested to hear from him. So let's get yeah, him on the horn. Same here. Let's do it. What's up? Hey man? guys. Hey, Dusty. What's happening, bud? Oh, living the dream, man. Oh, I heard that. Ain't nothing better than that, man. That's right. So what are you up to, Dusty? Oh, man. I've been in the fields all day, spraying my fields, trying to get them ready to plant next weekend. So that's pretty much what I've been doing all day. Plant? What are you planting? Man, I got some food plots out back. I got some uh, turnip greens, some oats, some wheat, and stuff like that. I 
I like to put in the ground in the fall this time of year. Yeah, I didn't know you were doing farming. That's awesome. Dusty used to grow tobacco back in the day. Yeah, I did. I'll never forget when 9-11 hit, man. I was cutting and spiking tobacco and had my truck out in the middle of the field and hearing that crap come over the radio. Yeah, it'd be a memory I'll never forget. You were already out of the Marines when that happened, right? Yeah, I just got out. I got out in 99. When I got out, my the day I got out, my grandfather passed away. We've got a big family farm. Before I went to the Marines, my idea was to, I was wanting to go to the farm and he was going to pay for an education and I was going to go get an ag degree. And I don't know why, but I mean, that farming and the cattle and that lifestyle and hell, I'm not scared to work. That's what I always wanted to do. So, uh, so when I got out, my grandfather passed away. He was, you know, he ran the farm and I had my uncle there and he says, man, I need you on the farm if, if you're still willing. So yeah, man, I got out and come home. I worked with my dad a little bit, you know, building a few houses and, uh, found out real quick that me and him are just better beer drinking buddies than we are working together. So, <laughs> so I went to the farm and come to find out yeah i think i i i worked for three years on that farm and never worked seven days a week 24 i'm not 24 hours but i i mean it was pretty much your whole life is dedicated to that yeah man using a credit card to go to the grocery store after working your ass off like that it sort of sucked you know what i mean yeah so so after three years of it i decided uh, uh i gotta retaliate here and let me let me try to figure out what else I need to be doing. So I went back to my roots of what I've always done my whole life was, was build. And then you went into tile, right? Yep. Yep. I got back. Well, I went after I got out of the farm, I went back to working with my dad. some, and obviously that didn't work again. And, you know, I started doing a little tile work on the side. And next thing you know, man, that, that blew up for me. I went full bore in that for about eight or 10 years. Yeah, man. I, I got really, uh, I guess I got involved with a very, some very high-end contractors uh, doing um, some very high-end tile work, very elaborate tile work. I learned how to mud. That's where I learned about concrete was uh, doing tile work. So I had this very high-end contractor I used to work for, and he says, hey, I need you to mud the shower and mud mud these walls. And Actually, the I, he had a floor in there. It was about 4,000 square foot in the living room. He says, man, it needs to be about two, two and a half inches of dry pack. Can you do that? Man, I've never done that. I just set the daggum deer rock and, you know, lay tile over top of it. And, of course, you know me, old Dusty, he's like, hell yeah, I know how to do it. I didn't know shit about it. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's where it began. So, uh, you know, I had to reach down deep and pull something out of the hat. And, you know, luckily for me, I figured it out and pulled it off. And, and man... Uh, my tile career just took off after that as, you know, a, a premier tile and stone setter. So I went with that for a while, but really it wasn't what it it wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't know it, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. You, I mean, you got pretty successful for that. And then you left, if you will, or started putting it to the side to pick up concrete and kind right. of start from the bottom again. Right. Or did you yes. get real successful real fast there, too? Yeah, I, I just, I, man, I used, I had some people moving in, you know, in Nashville, man, we get everybody from all these other states moving in here. Um, so had some people from California 
years ago, God, long time ago. And they says, hey, you're so good with all that concrete and mud. Can you make me some concrete countertops? I'm like, you know me. Shit, yeah, I can. <laughs> well, I found out real quick. No, I couldn't. Uh, you know, I went in, formed them up, did some casting in place, packed that shit in there like I would a tile floor with like three parts sand, one part Portland, and freaking made it really pasty and and uh, packed it in, screed it off, and I said, "Well, there's your countertop." Uh, yeah, that that really wasn't a <laughs> a uh, a very nice countertop, at least to say. So, but it did uh, spark something there that that um, you know I. I had to drive for and I, and I went after it. And, uh, luckily I found, found the way to do it. So you, you've had a, when did you actually, I mean, from a time frame, how long, I mean, how long ago did you start this path? We're talking five years, 10 years. What are you looking at? Oh man, this was probably 2006, seven, probably. Uh, I started playing with the concrete. I mean, I was already mudding the walls and all that kind of stuff. And, um, uh, yeah, I would say 2006, I started playing with the countertops a little bit. In 2007, I finally uh, figured out, man, I, I needed a little help. So I, I went, I found a class, something that interested me, and I, and I went to a class, learned a little bit about it. I learned what not to do, because honestly, I don't think the man's been in it long enough to be, to be training anybody, and did everything he said, bought his materials, and yeah, every every countertop I was doing, uh, within three months I was getting callbacks. You know, uh, you need to come come take a look at this, take a look at that, and, and I was like, well, shit, man. <laughs> so I did that for a few years, off and on. I wasn't full bore in the concrete at that time. I was uh, I was sort of doing it. I don't know. I was getting one project every three months, you know, and then I was still doing tile work, and and then all of a sudden I got down where I was doing one a month, and then. Uh, and then I almost threw my hands up in there and quit because every project I had about 10 to 12 jobs. That was bad. They're sitting there, you know, giving me hell. I'm doing this stuff at $50 a foot back then. Just trying to get my, get my name out there. Just what the snowball, again. the snowball, the good old brother. snowball. Yeah. Snowball. I think we've all gone through that. And I'll never forget my dad. I'm sitting there and I'm telling him about all this concrete. And he tells me, you know, you're a dumb son of a bitch. Oh, damn. What the hell are you doing, boy? You know, and I'm like, man, I'm going to figure it out. And he's like, everything you're doing is going wrong. And I'm like, you know what? I'm fixing to, <laughs> I'm fixing to prove you wrong again, buddy. So, yeah, man, I almost give it up. I think I met John a while back. And uh, main, main, main problems I was having besides just pouring freaking sack creek, you know, two inches thick, welded up rebar. Uh, it was the sealers, man. The sealers was taking me down. So I met John and uh, I was already about ready to tap out. I met John and John was like, man, I just started with this new ICT thing, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you know what? I ain't got nothing else to lose, buddy. I'm with you. I said, show me what you got. Sure enough, man. That's when it's a, it's amazing. But that's when, when things turned around for me, when I started, when I started another approach and another route to this concrete thing and the ceiling uh, technique. So yeah, longevity. But how did you go about developing your style, your look? That's no, what really man. kind of. Well, well, what started the whole thing started is when I got into it. You know, the GFRC was big. I love that marbleized. I love movement in the concrete. I love some concrete to me that's got character. When you look at it, it's not like looking like it's been spray painted or it's the same thing from one end to the other. I love it when you look into a piece of concrete, your eyeballs follow it, and you just 
I mean, you, you just get lost in the piece looking at it. I mean, that's what I wanted. But when I got in, I did the ICT and, you know, I re retaliated from what I was doing. So I went back, I was spraying pieces and trying to do the GFRC thing. And one of my first pieces I put out, nice spray finish. It was nice, but I had one bug hole. It was about the size of a pencil eraser on it. And, you know, obviously we slurry the holes up and, and I'll never forget delivering that piece. And that lady kept, she went straight to it and she started like rubbing on that little spot that I slurried. And obviously it looked different than the rest of the piece. And she says, is that the best you can do with that? And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I have worked my ass off trying to make this thing perfect for you. And you're asking me, is that the best I can do with that? You know, so boy, that's, that was like a knife in the side, man. That, that stuck, that stuck in me hard. So, man, when I left there, I went back to the shop. She was still pleased, paid me for the project. It was all good. But, man, what she said to me just really, just really bugged, bugged me a lot. Went back to the shop, and, man, I just started playing with different materials and tried to see what I can get reactions with and how I can create some movement and some concrete. Actually, I started, I started developing something. And, actually, it turned out a little lighter than what the client wanted. And she says, can you make that piece a little bit darker? I was like, okay. So I went back and I had some glaze. I think glaze just come out. Glaze or wh whatever crap it was called back then. So I went back to the shop and tried to figure out how to use this glaze to like darken it a little bit. And uh, man, when I rubbed this glaze over it, all this imperfection and all this character just, just, I mean, it just come out of this concrete. Yeah, that's where it all began, was a mistake, trying to fix a mistake, and and then, man, <laughs> I took off running from there, and I hadn't looked back since. And you've continued to refine, because we taught the first class with you maybe in 2014 or 2015, somewhere around then. That first class versus what you teach today is night and day difference. So over oh, the yeah. last six, seven years, you've continued to refine it and dial it in, make it better and better. Exactly. Man, from, I guess I started playing with that finish in 2012, 2011, 2012. And man, I just learned so much. And I'm the type, man, I'm never satisfied. I'm always looking for something better. I'm always looking for a better way. I'm always looking for the next level. You know what I mean? So yeah, even today, man, what I was doing two years ago to now is night and day difference. Other people may not see it, but if you saw it with your own two eyes and you touched it and you filled the surface and you and you looked at the two, you would notice. That, I mean, it's just it, it's continuously improving. I mean, that, I, I'm still taking it to other levels. I mean, I think that's what all of us have to do to to keep it fresh and, and to find success, man, is keep digging and keep grinding and and see what else you can pull out of the hat. You know what I mean? Me and John are talking. And there's dusty clones, whether it's other training or right. what have you. In photos from 10 feet away, they don't look bad. But when you right. see them in person, I've seen them in person. John's seen them in person. When you see these other products in person, when you get up close to them, they lack all the detail. And that's what really sets your look apart, Dusty Creep, from all the other clones is the level of detail. Because the closer you get, if you're a foot away, six inches away, two inches away, a millimeter away, there's infinite detail. It just gets more and more and more 
Um, it just expands. It's like a fractal almost. And that's what makes it so different than the ones that look good from from far. But when you get up close, they just look like a, a mess, you know? Right. All right. Along the same lines, as you just said, about continuing to work your craft, getting better and better. And in, in, in what you're doing today is uh, clearly generations ahead of what you may have done back in 2012 and so forth and so on. And I think that's one of the things that lacks with some people or one of the frustrations, I'd say, is I talk to many people starting their businesses that may look at your business or, or Brandon's business or mine and be like, man, these guys are so successful. I mean, it, it must have just came easy to them. And to realize yeah. it didn't come easy, right? I mean, and it Hell still doesn't no. come easy. Yeah. You know, you, I, I still remember myself starting with nothing more than a credit card, you know, and all right. That's all I had, whether I was buying an Omnicart or another bag of, of mix or whatever. The, I mean, that's all you had. And that's just one part of it. And then the other part of it is continuing to refine your craft to keep yourself successful. And I don't even mean financially. Part of it is the emotional side, continuing that success so that you continue to aspire and happy with what you're doing. That's what I, I got to keep it interesting, man. You got to keep, keep finding that next level uh, product. Yeah, man. I mean, y'all are introducing products and I'm working with that. And man, this stuff is what I'm doing now, this year, since I've been totally using a new mix now this year, man, I'm telling you what, this stuff is over the top. I mean, over You're using the a new mix. Yes, sir, man. What, using the, what, what you mix know, are you the, using? The, the, the maker's mix. Um, what? You don't say. Yeah, man. You maker mix? Yeah, yeah. Who makes that? Is that a Kodiak? Uh, 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 <laughs> all kinds of good man. stuff about maker mix. Yeah, man. But, yeah. So, I've, I've started with this new mix, man. I used to pour, you know, I used to pour my stuff a little more. You could pick it up with your hands out of a bucket and place it in the forms. Um, that's what I've always sort of been accustomed to. I don't know, man. I'm getting older. And uh, shit's working me to death, you know, six, 900 pounds, 1200 pound mix. You know, you're taking a freaking handful at a time out of a bucket and placing it in form, doing it all by yourself. I mean, it, man, it'll kick your ass. So I was like, you know what? I I'm fixing to start really getting this shit wet. Let's see what happens. So, man, ever since I started getting it wet with this, I'm able to do this with this new maker's mix. And uh, since I've been getting it nice and wet and juicy, Man, I'm pouring it in, and damn, these finishes are getting extremely tight, dense, and just, you know, I'm not getting bug holes and pinholes where where I don't want them, you know what I mean? And I'm just isolating my character in areas that I'm wanting it to pop out, and the rest of it is nice, subtle, smooth, nice-looking concrete, you know what I mean? With a little kick here and there. I have found out over time, less is better than more. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I like juicy. Juicy's good. I like it juicy, baby. <laughs> juicy, moist. Yeah, man. I like moist. That's right. Moist concrete. Shit, I'm just going to go over and mix them up now, man. You keep talking, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get, get uh, Dusty some of those short shorts to say juicy on the butt. That's right. You know, you know I'd wear it. <laughs> Bedazzled. Bedazzled juicy. That's right, baby. We make, make a big jiffy with Dusty on there. You just search Dusty <laughs> and all these, these things will come up. That's right. Uh, We've been having the conversation, but, you know, and I know we're focusing on the makers, but the uh, the TBP, because you've used other plasticizers in the past. Yeah. I mean, 
Uh-huh. Right? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how's that fitting in with what you're doing? I've used everything you think of, man. I've even <laughs> the shit that comes from the store. I've squirted in there trying to get it, and uh, I had suds coming up off my shit. But man, I've tried everything, and this uh, the best plasticizer is really, really, really kicking this concrete off really nice. Well, you tried using some other plasticizers with right. Maker Mix initially, right? Didn't you? Like yes. when you first got Maker Mix, you tried using I don't oh, know yeah. some. Yeah, whatever I, it is. I used to, I used to use the uh, the 420 or the 310 or w- whatever it's called. You know, it's a Buddy Rhodes product that I shit I used for years. So when I started got you know when the makers mix, you all started when it started uh, being distributed. I you know I had I had a pallet of it and obviously had all these other materials on the shelf and that's what I started with putting into the mix. I mean I thought it was working well until I actually you know told you to send me a big bag best plasticizer the kodiak plasticizer and uh boom man i was like damn that, that's a big difference there so Night and i day. haven't looked back man yeah we had a guy hit up john a few days ago that's using three or was using 310 right. and thought it was the same Thought it was the same he's like it's the same yeah. color it looks the same there's so many things i always use baking as a good example of right. you know you have flour and you have sugar and if uh or salt and if a right. if a cake recipe calls for a pound of sugar and you put a pound of salt in because they're both right. white, that cake is going to taste like shit. And mm-hmm. that's true with concrete. You, you can have products that look very similar, but they're completely different. So TBP is not repackaged 310 or repackaged 420 or any of those things. It's a completely different product. Anybody that actually tests it for themselves, like you did, will see the difference. Well, take it from me, man. I mean, I'm pounding out hundreds of pounds every week in this shop. So Man, I, I know what I'm talking about, and this stuff is is legit. I'm the one I tackle a lot of the tech calls, and I had someone call me just the other day who was using using a product, one that same thing. You know, I, this is the one I get. Well, you know, I've had so much of this stuff, and like, yeah, but so John, what's the problem? Well, tell me the problem. Well, at, at this amount I'm using, which would be a low amount, since they've never used the TVP, it it seemed as good as as good's going to be, right? But he was trying to move to a self-consolidating mix. Instead of using the 20 grams, he was trying to use 80 grams. And he couldn't figure out for the life of me, and he thought it was the mix that as he kept adding plasticizer, the mix just got more jelly. He called it like jelly and kept getting thicker and thicker and stickier and stickier no matter how much more plasticizer he kept adding. So he called me up. You mean... 310, right? It was 310? No, no. This was actually um, uh, another product from another another company out there. What was it? I think we should say what it is so guys that have it don't waste their time or money All right, it was Trinix using it with Maker Mix. Yeah, okay, so Trinix Plasticizer. Trinix Plasticizer isn't a bad product. It just doesn't work with Maker Mix. If you're using Correct. the other mix, it might work fine. It just doesn't work with Maker Mix. Well, now we get into a whole another category because, or a conversation, because if you read the way it reads for this particular product, of course it says ideal for UHPC and GFRC and at a product, boy, I'm going to say less than half the cost of TBP, maybe even more than that. It's comparatively pretty inexpensive. And he had a whole crud load of this. So, well, John, you know, this is used for UHPC concrete. 
And that was his first defense, right? So it has to be something wrong with the concrete, not with the plasticizer. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, it's just not going to work. And then I explained to him why, which based on what was happening, I already know what's in the product. It's not going to work. I don't care what the label says or what the other manufacturer is telling you. The fact that you're seeing what's happening tells you that that particular plasticizer based on, in this case, he was trying to do a self-consolidating mix, is never going to pull off. And then I asked him, hey, go back to my, I think I have it on Instagram. Look at my Instagram page where I was just got done casting a couple vanities with self-consolidating mix based on the mix ratios given for Kodiak Maker Mix. And you'll see in a five-gallon bucket, you know, it's basically pouring out like a milkshake. That's the way it should be with the very low water we recommend with the kind of plasticizer that's recommended and that type of mix. So if you're not getting that and you're using the water and you're using the mix, that only leaves one ingredient that's not working properly. And so that's what it was. I think at some point it wouldn't be bad for us to do videos showing other plasticizers with Maker Mix. And like I said, these plasticizers, there's nothing wrong with them. Adva 555 in certain mixes is a great plasticizer. It just doesn't work in Maker Mix. Trinix Plasticizer in a lot of different mixes is perfectly fine. Just doesn't work with Maker Mix. So if you're wanting to make the switch, make the jump to this really high-performance UHPC, you have to use a plasticizer that's compatible with that type of mix. Yeah, it's taken into design to begin with, yeah. Exactly. Which I'm sure, Dusty, you've run run into the same thing, as you've already said, in this podcast, yeah. So that now the kind of workabilities that you're looking for, comparatively speaking to where you've been, you're, atri- you're achieving a, a new right. end of what you're trying right. to do, your business, your looks, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And, and so to me, that's part of success. I mean, along with that, I mean, using these plasticizers, a lot, a lot of other things go in, go into play also, you know, your, your, the, the temperature of your mix that's got a lot to do with uh, some things. You know, what your fibers, what type of fibers are you using? What What's your fiber loading? How are you mixing this? I mean, all that stuff, you know, goes into play also. Yeah. Yeah, if they're dispersing. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. was one of the keys that I remember you and I talked a minute right. ago. Yeah. Because I get and with the best plasticizer. I mean, it's great, but I'm, it reacts differently whether it's in an armor being just shoved around, twisted around, or you've got... I used the double paddle, you know, the, the hell I used the cheap ones, the, the, the Northern, the Northern tool, double paddle bit. If you're mixing with that, man, I mean, it's going to get a little bit tighter because you're dispersing them fibers out a whole lot more. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's grabbing the mix a little bit better. I'm still getting a very nice wet mix, even with the, uh, you know, hand mixing, but I, I don't hand mix often every now and then, you know, like you and I've discussed, I, you know, I poured out the hammer and, hit it a few times just getting some stuff uh the fibers dispersed out but yeah i mean that that's got a lot to do with it also see i gotta pick up one of those double paddles because like when you brought them to the workshops i have to admit man yeah i mean first of all i'm gonna be straight up without the little ring at the bottom of those paddles right that double paddle man that scares me because i'm used to you know hitting the side of the buckets you know it jumps around chew it up for sure man yeah but but i'll say Having that thing in my in my hands and really, you know, and using that double paddle, I'm like, oh man, I'm a man. 
That's right. That's right. You just, man, like you're driving a bus, man. That sucker digs and chews, and you just turn it, man, to just to steer it, you know? But, yeah, I mean, mixing ECC, man, I can't, the the paddles that's got the ring at the bottom, oh, shit, man. That'll kill you. I mean, I got to have something. Those are the single paddles, yeah. Yeah, I got to have something that's going to dig and chew and, and get down in it. I'll never forget back when we did a class out when you were still out in Phoenix and man, it was the old ECC mix and oh man, you know how it is in a class. There's so much crap going on and anyways, man, we's mixing it up. It's hotter in Hades and your damn shop out there. Good God! And we're trying to mix up this little batch of concrete, man. We got this little table we're gonna pour and the fiber was all mixed up and I think Joseph threw the fiber in. And it started mixing it in. So it's already getting pretty damn tight. And I remember Branding Browning was there also. And he was like, man, does this go in it? And I didn't see Joseph throw it in the mix. So Brandon Browning threw the, I mean, he doubled the fiber loading in this damn mix, like in the middle of class here. And next thing I remember Brandon saying, hey, man, we got problems. I turn around and look, and it's shit that, man, that shit wouldn't twist up. Good God, about killed this man trying to mix that. I'm surprised we didn't burn your mixer up that day trying to get that crap probably did probably oh my did. god man a week later <laughs> i went to go turn it on and it just smoked it probably did man well <laughs> you, you thank you can thank us for that because we did that but good god well, i'll tell somebody. you i'll tell you what those double blade mixers work great for pva mixes but they right. are horrible for ar fiber mixes gfrc exactly uh, because I they see why. they shred the fibers yeah they exactly. shred the glass so economics, Dusty, economics, yeah. when you started, you were selling based on price. You're $50 a square foot. Yeah. It kept you busy. You know, you had work, but the work wasn't profitable. It was a slow, it was a slow death, a death of a thousand cuts. You're just slowly bleeding out. You were losing more than you're making on those projects at that price point. If yeah. anything happened, it recast something, whatever, you're way upside down. But then over time, and we've told the story before about about uh, saying you'd kiss my ass. And like I said, I, I still wait every time I see you. I, I keep hoping that's the day. But uh, <laughs> but you've you've brought your price up dramatically, and yeah. in doing so, your workload hasn't gone down; it's it's gone up. So, what's your viewpoint on on price and concrete and price well, as a selling point? Should it be a selling point, or should what you make be what you're selling and price uh, is secondary? Let, let, what, let what you make speak for itself. I learned that. But no, I, I was, I was, you know, I was doing concrete, fifty, sixty dollars a square foot, and do a job, and I'd, I'd pay myself, pay the materials, pay, you know, do your expenses. But there was nothing going back into the company. My company could not grow. And if you had any type of, uh, you know, recast or anything like that, I mean, you might as well, <laughs> you're done. You know, you're just gonna have to eat that. So I did that for quite some time and man, I just could not, I couldn't like drum up any money to buy a mixer. I couldn't, I didn't have any extra money to, I just couldn't, I, I didn't have anything left over to better my business. Yeah. That's when I met you back a while back. And, uh, basically you said, uh, I'll tell you what, when you go home, you start putting a hundred bucks a foot on everything and don't look back. That was 2012. Yeah, I think so. Yep, yeah. About 2012. You just start doing dusty creep. Just started uh, doing it because you, you came to yeah. Epic in Georgia and you showed, you did a demonstration. Like, hey, guys, this is how I do it. Mm-hmm. And my wife was there and she saw it. And she said, hey, you should come check this out. And I said, hey, you know, I like Dusty, but 
my thing is GFRC, like modern, and his thing is rustic. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, this is a really, really nice finish. You should come take a look at it. And I went over and looked. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's really detailed. Like, I never really looked at it. I just kind of thought, yeah, it's a cool thing, but that's not what I do. And uh, that's when that's when I met you. And it was at that epic that we did a roundtable. And you said yeah. that in your market, you couldn't get over 50 bucks a square foot where you are. So, yeah. So after we had our conversation and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to put, I mean, 100 bucks a foot. Do you want it? If you want it. If not, oh, well. Well, man, it started working. Believe it or not, I actually started getting a little bit more um, work out of it. And what I learned at that time was it don't matter if you're 50 or 100 you got a product it'll sell itself and if they want it they want it if they don't they don't you know it, it doesn't matter you know if you're 50 60 yeah. or whatever if, if you got i mean let the product i learned a while back quit trying to sell your damn product just put some badass shit out there and man it'll speak for itself and and if they want it they want it and if they want it that's the client you need to work for you know what i mean not don't try yep. to sell it yeah man i haven't looked back since and damn how it's changed my life i'm telling you <laughs> so well, dusty with those so, so well, uh, here's my question because i know we've, we've had this conversation many yeah. times uh-huh. people listening or, or people in that current because there's lots of them right i mean i i talked to quite a few people around the country and maybe they're at 85 or you know maybe they're 75 or whatever right. the case may be so uh-huh. i just want to legitimately did you go home from 55 to 100 or did you you know, stair step it up based on comfort zone. I mean, how did that really work for you? Be honest. I come home with the mindset that my minimum, no matter what was going to be $85 a foot. And then, but, but most, that was pretty much the basic, most simple things that I could possibly do, but pretty much everything was at a hundred dollars a square foot. And that's where I, I stood my ground and stuck the pole in the ground and that's where it landed, man. Well, that's awesome. That, yeah. That's where I'm at now. And, and confidence, having the confidence in your product and everything, that, that's the number one thing. It ain't just that you're more expensive, man. It's you putting out a nice product and you're confident in what you can do. And you can execute and blow somebody's mind with what you're doing. People feel that confidence and read it. I guess they, they you know, they work off of you and, and it works, man. It really does. Well, that's, that's a whole yeah. other side of it. As you just said, confidence. So mm-hmm. recently I was talking to a really good guy and, and he's getting ready to bid one of the biggest projects he's ever been a part of, right. which I think Trueform, you know, Trueform's got their names out on a lot of spec. Oh, and so him, him and I got to talking and I mean, it made me feel really good. But his first comeback to me, he goes, you know what, John? He goes, the fact that I can do this and moving into something bigger than I've ever touched before, but with a confidence of knowing that what I do put out there, I'm not worried about any of the other problems that, that you hear, you know, people who may still be on the hamster wheel of, you know, various blankety blanks of the month clubs and so forth and so on. So, I mean, is that what, and to develop that confidence for you, was it based on feedback coming from previous work or just the idea that just like, you know, Hey, I've made the right decisions. I'm using the right mix, the materials, the temperatures, you know, blah, blah, the yeah. sealer. I mean, what, if you don't mind me asking, I know it isn't just one thing, but what, what's brought you that kind of confidence along this path? Understanding your material, number one. I don't care what material it is. As long as you understand 
what's going on and what's taking place. You got to understand what, I mean, you got to understand the concrete and what, what it's doing. Uh, that's how I developed my powder. You got to understand step by step what's taking place. You got to understand your forms completely. You got to understand, I mean, you got to understand everything about it. Once you understanding, once you understand it, and you've started, if you've got some experience in this, and you and you're getting pretty uh, consecutive results out of it, then and then you're starting to blow people's mind. Then yeah, man, your confidence is going to start going up. But I can't say I come to a class, I did one job, and boom, my balls are dragging the ground. You know what I mean? No, it's not like that. You got to get in there and do the do the dirty work and and do the uh, do the leg work and understand the material uh knowledge man knowledge is everything but once you understand it and man it starts showing make it show it shows itself off and uh you understand exactly how you did it how you accomplished it and everything about it then man that's 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 when that snowball starts building you're saying two things that i think are important to what we're trying to do with kodiak and concrete design school what i always try to get across in my class is People don't buy concrete. They buy what you make with concrete. And mm-hmm. I think that's missed by so many guys. They think, oh, I'm going to make concrete sinks and concrete countertops. That's going to sell. It doesn't sell. It, it depends on your concrete sink and your concrete countertop that you make. That's what somebody's going to buy. And so step number one is know how to make those things and, and develop your own unique designs, which when people come to our classes, we focus a lot on that. We focus a lot mm-hmm. on how, how to get that skill set so you can go and come up with your own sink design, your own chair design, your own whatever it is. Right. But then the second part of that equation is the materials because the materials we used to use, so many things we make today and so many of the looks we create, whether it's upright cast with John Schuler, or it's dusty crete or it's you know a, a thin shell concrete uh, chair like I make, the materials have to be able to do that. And so the Kodiak Pro, what we've done with that is we have materials now that can accomplish the designs we're trying to create. So it's a two-pronged approach, but it takes both to be successful. Right. And that's at our classes, that's what we demonstrate. I mean, the best products and the and you know, you got the best hands-on and boom, there you go. The other thing I want to hit on when you're talking about pricing is perceived value. And it's something that a lot of guys again miss the boat on. They focus on price as their selling point. So like you did, and it's it's a natural way to try to grow your business is Hey, everybody around me is 100 bucks a square foot. I'll be 50 and I'll get more work. But you're attracting the wrong client because the client that's attracted to that is a client that's going to run you to death. What is this? Take you to task on every little thing. Where if you're the most expensive guy in your market and you have to be able to back it up, you can't just raise your price and do crappy work. Like you have to do legit good work. Right. But if you're the most expensive guy in your market, there's a certain clientele that says, hey, we got three quotes. This guy's 50, this guy's 75, and this guy's 200. Why is this guy 200? He's got to be the best, right? This product's got to be the best. And there's a part of that. So today, like every day, I went grocery shopping this morning. When I'm at the grocery store, when there's three different brands on the shelf or whatever it is, pasta or tomato sauce or whatever, you look at price and that factors into the quality of the product. The higher priced items you, in your mind, perceive as being a higher quality product on anything, whether it's a car or airlines or whatever it is, the higher the cost, the higher the quality. And so same thing with what we do. So it's one of those things that you have to, you have to be able to do it. You have to be able to have the skill set to execute and you have to deliver. You can't slap on some crappy epoxy 
on concrete and charge 200 bucks a square foot because it's going to fail and the client's not going to be happy. But if you deliver a high quality product and you're charging 200 a square foot, you might actually get more work than the guys charging 50 bucks a square foot and you're four times more profitable for the same amount of work. Or you're doing four or he's doing four projects and you're doing one and still making more money. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what I was just going to say too, is then you got the, you know, the quality of life to go with quality of product. That's a balance too. Cause right. You're, you're busy as heck. Right. Dusty. Crazy, man. I've never mixed so much damn mud as I have this year. It's crazy. How are you finding the balance between being that busy and still, you know, family and, and I, I mean, I don't even know. Do you have hobbies? <laughs> to answer your question, yeah, I got a skid steer and a tractor, and that is my balance there. Because I go get on that damn thing and go play in the fields, or I get on my skid steer and, and clean up the land out here. That's sort of how I find balance. But honestly, man, I, I need to start taking a little more. In fact, I'm fixing to start cutting off. I'm not taking on any, anything else more this year. Uh, if I quit now and I bust my ass, I think I could finish it all up by Thanksgiving and I've about had enough, man. I have mixed a lot of concrete this year. And honestly, I mean, I've got one full-time. and He ain't even full-time. He, he's just graduated high school, and he's in college. So I got him about, I got him part-time. So, I mean, I don't even really have employees. And I'm turning out thousands and thousands of feet. Now, with that said, I have some guys like Edgar and Tommy and some other guys that come and apprentice with me. And help me out, you know, when I get some very large-scale jobs. Uh, they come in. i got a cabin beside the shop. They stay here. Or Tommy just lives right down the road. And they come in, help me knock this stuff out. And then when I get down to, you know, just a batch full of sinks or something, then I'm I'm usually in here by myself cranking this out. But, man, my project board this year, I'm telling you, it's, it's I've had at least 10 projects on my board in front of me all year long. It's crazy. With, you know, a couple of them. You know, they're over six-figure jobs. So, I mean, they're not just a little $3,000 sink. You know what I mean? There's like seven yep. sinks at a time going in each one of these places. So, um, Well, that you just got done with a pretty complicated bar here recently, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, that one there was about the death of me. I'm telling you, shit bar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we pulled it off. Uh, Edgar come down from Indiana and, uh, and helped me out. And, man. We knocked that dude out of the park. I mean, I uh, just been releasing some final photographs. That bar project was was one of a kind. You know, to do something like that without machines or you know sending sending it off to have something made for me. You know, we made the whole thing completely by hand. I was determined to do it, and by golly, we did it. We really did it, and I'm I'm proud of that. And I really didn't want the project at first because it was like more than I wanted to handle as a sort of a one-man show here but you know I've, I've sent out so many of these projects these this from this price point I've I have quoted so many projects over the years of that scale and nobody ever raises their hand and said let's do it and these people finally said let's do it and I'm like oh shit <laughs> oh hell <laughs> fixing to get for real man what are we gonna do here golly and i go ahead and tell you it was many sleepless nights uh wake up in the middle of the night and shit my head is wrapped around designing how in the hell am i gonna pull this off and um our first attempt at this bar failed um so you know the the, the first attempt uh did not work and that's basically what i priced the whole project on 
So I had to back up and shit, come up with another direction. And the last thing I'm going to do is Dusty's going to go to somebody saying, I can't create that for you. That, that shit ain't going to happen. If I give you my word and my name and my, I'm going to do it. By golly, hold my beer, son. We're going to knock it out. And that's what we did. I'm proud of that. I really am. Yeah, those guys who haven't seen this project, what do you mean by it failed? Because, I mean, I saw the end of it. And of course, I didn't see the steps along the way. Yeah. But, right, I mean, you were pulling plaster at one point and molds. Yeah. And well, that was, the, that was the optional plan was to go to that. Um, you know, the original plan was I was going to jig. The pedestal on this bar, the front face, was, was the problem. Doing the damn bar tops, that was no problem there. But that front profile had all these curves and just weird shapes in it. To form that, that that's something that was out of my comfort zone is what I'm saying. So I, I envisioned, you know, jigsaw out, you know, that profile, jigsaw a lot of these, that shape out and connect all the lines and boom, you got a shape there. But that, that didn't work. So um, plan B was, you know, I had a I cut out a piece of sheet metal and I was like, well, shit, I pulled a little plaster in the past. Let's see if we can pull a plaster one um, like that. And, and it worked. And then we poured some rubber against the plaster, threw the plaster away, and boom, we had a we had a live mold that we casted almost seventy lineal foot of this pedestal on, and uh, it worked out great. Shout out to, uh, to Buddy Rhodes, the yes. kind of the OG plaster pooler that brought that to this industry. It's been around for centuries. I mean, that's how plaster molding has been made for all these Victorian mansions, and that's how he came to learn it in San Francisco was he had a guy working for him or working in his shop that remade plaster pieces for these Victorian houses and Buddy learned the process and then started using that to make molds for concrete. And so now guys like you have taken that same kind of ancient, well, not ancient, but this uh, really kind of old school way of creating complex shapes and use that to make concrete. If you're gonna give one piece of advice as somebody interested in getting into concrete, high-end concrete, what would be your advice? Find somebody that knows what they're doing. Find somebody that does this every day. Find somebody that knows what they're talking about and and um, try to shadow them and learn. Experience is the number one most valuable thing you can, you can get. Uh, so many years I tried doing this before I ever Hell, I never really did do a class. The only class I ever did was one that failed. That was back when we had the concrete countertop forums and on the pages. And I was following everything that everybody was saying. And, you know, a lot of these guys made something for their aunt and uncle or their friends and took a million pictures of it and preached the gossip. And that wasn't an experience for me, man. Somebody that does this day in and day out and can execute these type projects, man, try to Try to try to shadow them and find one and 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 see what they're doing and and then develop your own way and your own twist of of doing it. You know what I mean? But yeah, back to what we was talking about earlier: understanding the damn material and understanding the product. Not only just the mud, the concrete, the plaster. Understand your mold making. Understand everything about it. You've got to understand it. Okay, if I do this, what's the counterbalance? What's going to happen there? You've got you got to understand everything about it. And once you understand it, and you're not just going to understand it before you do it, you're going to have to understand it and then do it and see that it actually is working. Then you really understand it. 
You know what I mean? And then you start mm-hmm. getting that confidence we was talking about. Find somebody that knows that, that legitimately knows what they're talking about that does this every day. You're probably going to get some good information. Well, it sounds like a Pinnacle Concrete Camp ad if I ever heard one. Man, I'm telling you what, that's coming <laughs> up, ain't it? It I, is. I've been, I've been yeah. looking forward to doing something new, man. Uh, well, number one, my process has changed a lot from, I guess, the spring. Uh, I'm, I'm using a new mix. Using uh, Well, we used this mix last time, but I haven't really had a lot of experience with it. But yeah, it was the first time using you, it in the last class. Yeah, it was the first yeah, time, it, yeah. It was the first time using it. Uh, some learning curves, but I mean, shit, man, I think I'm 11. <laughs> 11 pallets into it now so do the math at 56 bags a a pallet i mean i've got some experience in it now so yeah man i'm gonna be demonstrating some new stuff at this next the next workshop i'm looking forward to it um the last one i think we actually instead of making some little tables i think i made that arrowhead and man you wouldn't believe how many people want a damn arrowhead now it's crazy just something we just we just shot off the hip with and man i wanted to be a little different and we've made so many cool looking tables but man that arrowhead was just killer and uh it was and that sink you made was amazing yeah that sink and uh yeah man so i am really excited uh i'm always excited about these classes uh we always get to meet new people and 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 learn new things from these people using this the, the new way i'm sort of doing this with this maker's mix and pouring wet and uh, it's going to be interesting it's going to be some cool looking stuff i can't wait for you to actually lay your eyes on this stuff man yeah i want to see it i'm looking forward to it yeah all training is good there's other training classes out there take our class first please i think i think it'll set you up because what makes our class different than our competitors is experience what dusty is saying here experience matters experience is everything so i do this for a living it's all i've done for almost 20 years john does this for a living it's all he's done and dusty does this and every project we stake our reputation on it and that makes all the difference in the relevance of what we share with attendees of our workshops so what we're telling you we know for a fact works because it's what we do it's how we feed our families and so the other classes are out there all information is good information. All information is valuable information. So after yes. you come to our class, go take another class. You're going to pick up stuff in that class that's it's good information. If you're wanting to run a successful business, doing this for a living, not as a hobby, or not just making countertops for your house, if you want to do this for actually a career, Concrete Design School is where you want to go because this is what we do. This is all we do. This is it, man. This is my life. This is everything. <laughs> this is what I do. I mean, just from a, I don't know, I'll just pick a number. From a square feet of surfaces point of view, how, I mean, just as a guesstimate, what, I mean, what, do you, what have you been pumping out for the last, let's just let's say in the last five years? Oh, Lord, man, thousands of feet, thousands and thousands of feet. I mean, thousands of feet. And since following your path, you know, your steps, your processes from start right. to finish, from from powder material to something that you're sealing. What's your failure rate, Dusty? I mean, in all honesty, what's your failure rate? Like callbacks, like, hey, this didn't work. Yeah, I mean, you're talking thousands, if not tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of square feet following your processes. Honestly, I don't have any callbacks. None, none. I, I rarely have a callback, rarely. If I do, 
it's something that I set the expectation with up front. And that's, that's a whole other thing, is setting expectations. And that's something we, we really talk about in class. As far as product failures or anything, none. I don't have any. I honestly don't. No, that's great. I think one of the biggest no. fears that you constantly hear from people out there, now I'm going to say the you know, sealer of the month club, that does exist. I think we all realize it does exist. Right. You know, I'm, I'm in the same boat and sometimes now I'm on a different side, right? Because it is my technology. People are like, ah, John, whatever. And I'm like, no, I really don't get callbacks. I just don't have the issues. So, right. you know, for a person, you, which, you know, in all honesty, you're pumping out a lot more work than me anymore. Yeah, I, I think that's good for people to know. If you follow your process, as you said, learn your materials, know what you're doing and why you're doing it, you become successful as your success is, but it didn't come overnight. No, it did not come overnight. I mean, back to the sealer thing. I've, man, I've used every type of sealer. I don't care what you label it as, what the name of it is, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's still this, you know what I mean? And, and, I, and I've learned what to shy away from and what worked for me. And, you know, with, with the ICT and that type of sealing technology, I, I've had nothing but success. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not changing, but never will. I mean, I've, I've had success with it. So if it, if it's not broke, I'm, I'm not going another direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's just what I do, man. And if you want my product, that's, that's just what you're getting. My history and my record. I mean, 99.9%, you're going to get a very, very nice product. Well, you've got, I mean, I know for a fact, you got tens of thousands, if not, I, I think it's in the hundreds of thousands of square feet of product, whether it's commercial or residential out in the market, sealed with ICT over the course of, I mean, I think you started using ICT around 2012. Yep. So that's nine years now, almost 10 years you've been using yeah. it, almost a decade. And so that's, I think that's a long enough test to tell people like this works. This isn't just like, hey, I, I did three projects in the last month and I haven't had a callback yet. You have right. a decade of work and, and tens up to hundreds of thousands of square yeah. feet out there that's still performing at a very high level. And not only residential, commercial. I mean, commercial bars. I mean, this stuff is grounded and pounded every day. I've got a lot of product out there. I've had a lot of success. Honestly, I think over the last, this many years, I've had maybe two, maybe three callbacks. One was being from, I didn't know that unfinished ceramic pottery could draw moisture out of that concrete and leave a little burr spot. So I uh, made some adjustments on that. And that was five years ago, I think, when that happened. And besides that, man, it's just minimal crap. Like, like just minimal stuff. It's, it's nothing that I, that wasn't the expectation already set there. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had great success. Well, guys, we've gone on now for an hour exactly. Cool. I think it's a good stopping point. Dusty, we look forward, me, you, and John, we look forward to doing the Pinnacle Concrete Camp November 1st through 6th in Eureka yeah. Springs, Arkansas. Go to concretedesignschool.com to register. Anything else you want to say, Dusty? Hey, man, we're going to be doing some cool stuff. I look forward to showing some of my, my new techniques and, again, you know, over the years when I first started the Dusty Creek, man, I've, I've, I've constantly changed. I got guys that come to the class in 2014. They're like, you're not doing that anymore. I'm like, no, man, I'm, you know, when, when they leave the class, I tell them like, find your own, find different things. I'm giving you a baseline to go off of, but you know, find your own way of doing it. 
So, yeah, I've got guys from several years ago, and they're like, you, you changed that up. And I'm like, man, I've changed a lot of stuff up. I am constantly changing. But I've really made some big changes going into this class here. So I'm, I'm excited to, to demonstrate that. John, what do you got? Well, I'm getting back to the farming. I, I want to guess, what are you growing? Because I love some fresh vegetables. <laughs> oh, man, I ain't got no I got some turnips going in. Uh, but I got about, I don't know, probably about four or five acres I'm going to plant. Just food plots out here. I got a little bit of land here, and, and I got some little fields throughout the woods. And, yeah, man, I love planting some stuff, bring the deer in, and, I mean, I like to hunt a little bit. My wife and my daughter usually are the biggest hunters, and I just like to ride around on my four-wheeler, drink beer, and just go watch. Watch the wildlife, man. That's sort of my disconnect from the shop. Really blessed to be able to do that. Y'all be out here before long. We're going to have a class here uh, before long. Heck yeah. And uh, we're going to have a ball here in this holler. I promise you. Well, hopefully post-COVID, we're talking about, and the three of us are talking about, I don't know, I'm going to refer to it as a launch party or something, but... I think that would be amazing to get, you know, a group together again and, you know, like-minded individuals or new, old, whatever the case may be, and just spending some time together and having a good time. We're going to have a blast, man. I got about 300 acres here. So if you want to come, camp, hang out, we'll have a ball, you know. It's not your normal class setting. So we're out in the country. We can blow shit up. Ain't nobody going to bother us. Do what we want to do. Tear the ground up with four-wheelers. And uh, just don't leave your damn camper awning out and I'm mowing the grass. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there, but I know somebody's listening and he's probably laughing his ass off right now. But camper awnings, if you come, leave your damn awning up, man. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see it. <laughs> All right. We'll see you November. All right. All right, man. Dusty. Good talking to you. Good, good talking. All right. Adios. Adios.